So it's curiosity, it's thrill for me, and it's discovering way ahead of time, you know, what the big issues are going to be in fashion, which you which you see coming up, you know, in five, ten years after people have said it in their in their first years as designers. I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. For this episode of my podcast, I want to shine a light on fashion journalist Sarah Moa. Working for Vogue's Runway.com, Sarah Moa has spent her life not only reporting from the front row of the big names in the industry, she is also dedicated to talent in all forms, ages and nationalities, championing them on. Not only is she the BFC's Ambassador for Emerging Talent and Chair of the BFC New Gen Committee, she is also the guest curator of Rebel, 30 Years of London Fashion, alongside curator Rebecca Lewin. The exhibition currently on at the Design Museum in London's Kensington looks at designers spanning 30 years of the New Gen British Fashion Council initiative, which supports the best emerging fashion design talent, aiming to build high-end global brands of the future. The New Gen Committee is made up of journalists, buyers, and important industry figures and gives pro bono businesses mentoring and networking opportunities to those in the scheme. The colourful exhibition focuses on designers in their earliest years and how their vision was for much more than a choice of colour and fabric. Indeed, new gen designers explore new ways of making and shaping clothes with an accent on expression and discovering their fire inside. Who better to define the colourful museum exhibition than to quote Sarah Moa herself? Here she is. This is a testament to openness, to diversity and to freedom of expression, the fuel which constantly empowers change-making young designers to shine their multifaceted individual brilliance into the world. Now let's hear from my fellow journalist, Sarah Moa. You may hear us refer to the designer Alexander McQueen as Lee McQueen because that was his real name. Dear Sarah, first of all, I must congratulate you with the news that you'll be receiving the Special Recognition Award for championing young designer talents. And that'll be at the um, Fashion Awards in 2023. It's taking place on the 4th of December at London's Royal Albert Hall as part of the British Fashion Council Foundation. It's wonderful news, rather a lot of words, but basically the story is that you've been recognised for the fantastic work you do. Congratulations. Well, thank you, Susie. It's a great, great, great honour. And um, 
Yes, I'm looking forward to it with anticipation and trepidation, really. Well, what everybody who's interested in fashion have been waiting for and looking for is what you've done. This exhibition called A Rebel, great name, 30 Years of London Fashion. It's an exhibition at the Design Museum in West London. And bravo on guest curating this fantastic show. It's so insightful to see how the New Gen Initiative has produced all these designers over the years. You should feel proud. I'm always proud um, on behalf of the extraordinary talent that this country uh, nurtures and, and represents. And, uh, you know, my, my feeling about uh, this, this this show and the time that we're showing it in, in is that uh, now more than ever, spotlight needs to be shone on this as an asset of, uh, of our country. So, yes, pride mixed with... Um, it's very joyful to be able to see uh, the work of so many young designers who um, everything in this um, show has been made by people at the very beginning of their careers when they were in, mostly in their 20s as members of the, uh, the New Gen Talent Scheme, which started in 1993. So specifically, we're only showing um, collections which were um, made during their new gen, new gen phase from 1993 to, to now. Do you, in your secret heart, however proud you feel, wish that for the young designers of today when they come and see this extraordinary exhibition that they knew all the names that everybody had gone on to be famous as we think of it and famous is to know who they are and what style they do but of course it can't happen to everybody do you feel that there's a lot to be said for doing as many as you have would you like to do more well what i've learned over the years as ambassador for emerging talent which i became uh, on behalf of the bfc in 2009 and also so uh, starting the stepping up to be the uh, chair of the new gen committee is that you never know where talent is going to come from and nurturing it um, giving it its first chance is a value in itself I mean in this show yes we we have people who are now you know the, the titans of the the fashion universe who had their first uh, chance in their new gen phase so Kim Jones Dior and Fendi, of course. J.W. Anderson, who who showed his um, groundbreaking uh, menswear collection in 2013, which scandalised the, uh, the tabloid press and immediately got um, was, was appointed at Loewe 10 years ago, 2013. Uh, Stuart Vivas, much earlier on, was an accessory designer who then you know went through, I mean, so many stages with so many luxury goods houses and has been at um, Coach in New York for I think over a decade. So you never know where talent is going to come from. And I think that London is the, is, is a hotbed where you will find it because it's so, so diverse and there's so much variety and there are so many people doing new things. As to whether there are shoulds about it, whether creative talent should be given a leg up. You know, I always ask the question, people ask that of fashion. Would they ask it of art? Would they ask it of acting? Would they ask it of um, people who want to be architects or car designers? Would they say, no, there's no point in supporting them? So I think fashion, you know, generally and culturally is slightly put into a, uh, psychologically in, in our culture, in British culture particularly, looked down on and not considered as, as the force that it is. Well, I, I think it's difficult when it is applied art. Um, and that's a difficult phrase to use for Alexander McQueen, Lee McQueen. Mm. Um, incidentally, I, I should say that the um, McQueen Company have generously sponsored this mm. exhibition, which is obviously very um, helpful. But the Alexander McQueen story is so extraordinary and it perhaps not quite as exceptional as we think. It's fascinating to listen to his friend and colleague, Simon Ungles, who's um, narrating now the 
story about how it all happened so people can hear it even though he himself the um, other designer himself is in America and somewhere mm-hmm. else you still get the feeling of what it was like when he and Lee met up all those years ago well the story of, of uh, Lee McQueen making his uh, first collection outside university which was a taxi driver collection which was sponsored by the BFC in the first round of, of new gen uh, yes it's absolutely fundamental to showing I mean Lee basically had nothing I mean he was he was making his collections with fabrics which are big borrowed and st- stolen on and he was on the on the dole taking social uh, on social security had literally had no income and his drive to make this collection with all of his skills that he learned um, um, at Savile Row and, and in Italy with Romeo Gili and Koji Tatsuno, Lee had to be creative. He had to do this. I think that in, in itself is to see that at the very beginning of someone's career, making something out of almost nothing is, uh, is, is symbolic of what, what, this, what this show is about. And I'm you know, absolutely thrilled that um, Alexander McQueen, as, as a company, saw, have seen that supporting all of the designers symbolically throughout this this uh, this show they made this show possible financially is a philanthropic uh, gesture which is really very very meaningful you know sir obviously i always think of you as a fellow journalist one who usually gets a story much faster than myself damn it <laughs> but uh, you are also so admired for what you do for young designers and also you're actually a, a, officially a visiting professor mm. at central st martins so I want to ask you a general question that you wouldn't normally ask um, a, a journalist, but why has our capital, why has London become a focus for anyone around the world who wants to get into creative fashion? Is it the rebellious nature of London's fashion schools, of the people? Is it really an impressive 300 designers who've passed through the new gen doors since it's some conception, which is, as we're celebrating, 30 years ago? What's behind it all? Yes, well, this exhibition has... Um, I've set out to show people that to, to 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 look at the fundamental reasons the landscape of why london in particular has um has flourished over this over this time and one of the reasons is arts the art school art school culture that we have so uh, literally if you come into the exhibition you will go into an art school and you'll go into a club scene and you'll go into an area also where you can see why people start up their businesses here but you're right there is something absolutely extraordinary and exceptional about our fashion education in this country because it stems from art schools it doesn't term, uh, stem from trade schools or and it doesn't it actually sort of forbids people from copying from being derivative from making their collections their portfolios as sort of job applications um you know to make to make work that looks like something else the fundamental thing about um uh, British art ed- education is it makes you look inside yourself. What is it that you have to say? Particularly now when, um, you know, fashion is at a, at a point where there's so much, far too much being put out. What do you have to say about your identity? What can you draw from your background um, or from your political views or from your stance on the environment or on gender equality or on fighting stereotypes? Uh, it's It's one of our national uh, assets that we we attract students from all over the world and then stay on to found their businesses here
Sarah, you are known and admired for what you do to support young designers. I'd love to know one thing. Have you ever sat down and counted how many of today's established creators have started with you, metaphorically speaking, holding their hands or maybe actually holding their hands? <laughs> I've done some hand holding and um, yeah, tissue tissue um, dabbing <laughs> and all sorts. Uh, no, I, I, I don't count, Susie. Um, the thing is that it does stem from being a journalist because I have this curiosity. I can't stand not to know what's coming next, what's coming over the horizon and what things mean. And I'm very privileged and to have been working all this, all these years for Vogue Runway and to go to, you know, the best, the very best of the best establishment um, shows. But I learn more from young people from listening to young people and to to hearing the future coming through their minds. And the thing is that also, you know, or discovered, know that people need, need help. Um, people don't necessarily come out of our school at all equipped to know how to go into business, what the legal sides are, what the trademark is, all of the pitfalls that you can make. And I've seen, I've seen, you know, before I, before I was appointed, Generations of uh, very talented people fail because um, factories have let them down and they've gone into really bad deals um, of people who've taken their names um, and all these sorts of things. And I wanted to prevent, to do what I possibly could to um, to help people not go, not fall into those um, those traps. So it's curiosity, it's thrill for me, and it's discovering way ahead of time you know what the big issues are going to be in fashion which you which you see coming up you know in five ten years after people have said it in their in their first years as designers i i want a little bit to play devil's advocate here because let's look at it the other way around wonderful as it is to spot new talent from the very beginning is it always so wise to give so much help in difficult fashion worlds by singling out university students at the very beginning of their career? Should they not have a bit more experience in the workplace before they go it alone? Do you have to help them at their beginning? First of all, the new gen uh, scheme does uh, only has always uh, supported people in their second season, at least their second season when they've already sold. So they 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 proved their their potential. I mean, it's a fact that you know many designers who start up here perhaps they'll stay in business five to ten years and that's that's the life cycle of a brand and I think that's not specific to London if you look at around the world in other capitals how how designers you know rise and fall my justification justification I don't feel I have to argue for it um is that what's so interesting uh is where are they now these designers the fashion world changes, the world changes, and people adapt and they discover very often that the talent, the, the the talents that they have, that they can follow up in 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 different creative fields. So there are people who are, who are such as um, Jonathan Saunders, who is an innovator in extraordinary multicolored kaleidoscopic prints when he when he graduated, is now. Um, a color consultant and designer in in New York, Russell Sage, who's a designer who who came up in the around the millennium using he's the first person I remember using antique fabrics. His entire collections were made of antique fabrics, and they were really radical and incredible. He owns a Russell Sage Studio, which is an interior design business, which has uh, forty designers working um, for him um, using guess what, um, mostly 
antique sourced uh, materials. So there's a st- we're actually, the British Fashion Council has uh, commissioned um, a study from a team of Central St. Martin's um, History and Theory students who are following up uh, an exercise on where people are now. I mean, there are people all around the world at the top of, um, I don't know, sportswear companies um, who are, there are many, many, many examples. So I think it's, it, it's kind of a, a a testing ground, this early stage, this early stage of, of, of designers' developments, is a, is a testing out of your um, design capabilities. Also, one of the things I was hoping that would come out of this this show, I don't know what you think, Susie, but I was blown away when the clothes actually arrived in the, in in this building at the Design Museum to see the quality of them um, and the extraordinary potential that's there. So I was hoping that um, perhaps consultants and um, people from luxury goods companies might come around and think, oh, gosh, these people could be for hire. Well, I would hope for you also that the exhibition itself might move. I mean, there are many places around the world where I think people would be fascinated to see what young talent can produce. And for all the things that we talked about earlier, the fact that it does seem to be particular to England and to London, that there all these people come together and produce such mm-hmm. wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sarah, I want to stop talking for a moment about these wonderful students and just talk a little bit about you, mm-hmm. because you are a celebrated journalist for US Vogue, and you write about fashion collections around the world and um, you're admired around the world we all read every word you write of course going around the world gives you the opportunity to find the new talent that you're always searching for do you separate the two when you're reviewing a famous person which you do often in to some lengths with six or eight different points that you're making um, is that very different from selecting people with the hunger and the desire to start in fashion um I'm just one person and I don't chop up my brain <laughs> to think to think in that way but my as a journalist um, like you Susie as fashion journalist I've, I've always um, from the very beginning thought that it's our job my job to explain what we see to a general public rather than drop names and in insider sort of um to make myself sound clever i think it's i think it's really important to describe what you see why it's why it's meaningful uh, how it fits into maybe that designer's body of work how it in- jigsaws into the political scene yeah that still that still daunts me but i still think that's the most important thing about what we can do as fashion journalists and to be honest that that is something that i've found out in the research um for this this exhibition, reconstructing um, Alexander McQueen's first collection. The best evidence I found was from great journalists of the time, um, newspaper reports. So what I want to say as well is to encourage young fashion journalists to... to there are now people who, who are absolutely obsessive about fashion history. But I think it's, you know, you need to look at the contemporary conditions as well, which surround, which surround fashion. That's, that's the way I approach it. Because in the, in the exhibition, we have video, we have magazines, we have all sorts of, um, yeah, news, news, newspaper cuttings. And really it only scratches the surface because fashion history, I mean, I was brought up by um, a mother who, um, who's an art teacher and we lived in Bath. And my parents used to take us to, you know, every single, I knew the difference between, um, you know, Georgian architecture and Tudor architecture, and um, when you were four years old, <laughs> not that not that young, but she was beginning to. Uh, it was she was beginning to, to to sink in. I I have to thank my career really to the Bath Fashion Museum, which was then called the Museum of Costume. So as soon as I got my mummy gave me some um, pocket money, I would get on the bus and go into into the exhibition. 
um, which showed um, at that time, you know, panniers and crinolines and empire line uh, dresses set out against um, a diorama. So you would see you would see the architecture behind uh, behind um, the clothes. So you understood that clothes aren't just separate from their times. They're, they're actually they're so much part of the art, culture and politics of the time. So I think I'd always, I've always thought about it that way. It's fascinating for me realising how early um, you were interested in all this and how there's really in your soul. But you must also be able to think of some profound moments that really have stuck with you, mm. um, discovering the beginning perhaps of a particular designer who later became famous or just something that happened that you really felt it in your heart. On several occasions, I mean, I feel like um, I just don't want to make a choice because I do really feel like they are, every, everybody has their own merits and I have a, you know, tender heart place in my heart for so 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 many people um but it was when um one of the one of the those occasions was when i was doing a feature on um the formidable professor louise wilson at um ma for uh the ma um professor at central st martin's for, for the telegraph i think louise produced a whole generation of incredible people but she's also terrifying um she allowed, she'd allowed me into her um office so i was sitting next to her and into the room came christopher came with this collection and like of which i'd never seen um at the time we were we were coming out of uh, the very very dark time of uh, post 9/11 all of um luxury fashion had become very very timid and um safe because Obviously, the buyers were frightened that nobody would buy fashion. And suddenly there was this neon vision of um, this young Scottish boy coming in with neon straps, uh, dresses which are made out of stretch um, uh, neon and uh, an another one which was uh, purple with frills and, and, and hardware jingling on it. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a sort of breathtaking breathtaking moments and then find out from him that actually uh, it was all made from material from nicker elastic and lingerie elastic from um, Ridley Road Market in the East End so that was that was an amazing moment. But Christopher Kane also has another story and not quite such a happy one. Um, he was supported by the sort of big big folk in Paris mm. and that didn't work for him which we can understand because he's very much an individual but more recently when we really felt that he was moving forward and doing wonderful collections and still has found it very difficult to develop why is there this big difference between the say Parisian or a lot of Italian designers who managed to some of them are not very famous but they managed to keep going as you might say and I'm I'm always terribly sad when any um, designer, we won't call them British designers because mm. they're so often designers mm. who come from a different background um, but they don't all survive I mean, over 30 years, obviously not everyone would have done, but what can be done to help raw students to develop? If we're looking at the, the case of Christopher Kane, you can't single him out as as somebody who's you know he's not alone in his his business having uh, to had to close post COVID and post um, you know cost of living crisis and Brexit and the collapse of wholesale the wholesale system has piled agony upon agony on not just designers here but young designers and independent designers I wouldn't say young independent designers everywhere. You know, it's a very big question as to whether our landscape is only going to be in the future 
as far as high fashion is concerned, the, the, the luxury conglomerates. And then fast fashion. I think fashion has to ask itself what they should be in between. Is there, is there an in-between? If you're talking about how um, young designers should be supported, well, the newest generation are creating new systems. It's not just a look, and it's not necessarily for wholesale and retail to be sold in shops. Many people are patchworking their careers together as artists, as teachers, as consultants, and also they don't want to belong to the big system. You know, there's, there's, I definitely have heard a condemnation and a, and a pushback from young designers from, I would date it from, well, way before the pandemic, that, that there are, there are creative people who don't want to belong to the system. And I think it, you know, it would benefit conglomerates if they want to see, if they want to see the future and if they want to listen to and hear what the most, the best innovators are talking about and actually demonstrating not just as protests, but in, in creating new processes. There's, there's Helen Kirkham, for instance, who's in this exhibition, who's, um, remasters trainers and she, she works with a, a charity company called Trade, um, and recycles, gathers and recycles, um, old trainers, makes them, remasters them, great, great term, into, um, a collection which can be sold of trainers. And also the other, the other thing that which is illustrative of how people are working now is, Okay, so I'm sure we've all got cupboards full of old trainers. What's what to do with them? If you chuck them out, you feel bad. Um, you can actually take your own tra- your collection of your favourite old trainers to Helen, and she will cut them together and make you a, a new a new pair. So, but that, and that's a high level luxury luxury good. So there's so many people doing this sort of thing, these sorts of things. In this fashion story, there's an elephant in the room, and it is how clothes are made, what they're made of, how people who make the clothes are badly treated. So many things which are not good. We may have produced the fashions, but there's not a happy story behind it. How do you feel about that? Well, I feel I've learned so much from uh, young designers in um, in British fashion colleges who had started protesting and, and drawing attention to that very very early on, Priya Alawalia is um, is is one of those who absolutely shocked me, and um, and got a, a lot of press out of um, from it um, when she was at San, at um, Westminster University. She's uh, Priya's um, a Londoner. Her parentage her heritage uh, is dual from in- India and um, and Nigeria. And she, she, as her uh, final collection, she she had gone to visit family in both on both those continents, and seen how. Um, Clothes are dumped on the global south, and she came back, and she well, she'd taken photographs of a city uh, called Panipat in 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 India, where there are mountains and literally mountain ranges uh, of clothes, uh, Western clothes dumped there. And her whole um, dissertation book was was these extraordinary photographs. And she decided then, from then on, she was never going, never in her career, going to to contribute to that that terrible um, destruction. But also, she in the same breath is saying. This is destroying people's lives, and the whole uh, of the um, uh, the system is 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 based on you know sweatshops and um, um, the maltreatment of people. So she's used she's used her platform to to say these things. But then, um, as many of the designers such as uh, Connor Ives and Phoebe English and uh, Richard, Richard Malone, more than I can actually name, um, they they are showing that sustainable uh, Christopher Rabin too uh, that 
the term sustainable used to be thought of, you know, everything has to look like oatmeal and be scratchy and made of, um, you know, not very nice things, homemade. They are making sustainable clothes look glamorous, look like fashion, look be fashion in very many different ways. So there's a whole rainbow of different different ways of, of being. I don't think anybody uses the term sustainable anymore. I think um, less damaging or ethical, um, all of these things, uh, the terminology is changing. But I'm just always staggered by learning about these things. And I, and I think I think that this exhibition shows the depths of research, um, that people have gone to and also to stimulate um, the developments of new industries. So Connor Ives, who's a, an American designer, recycles scarves, printed scarves, all sorts of um, beautiful, glamorous, sexy things. Um, but in the exhibition, um, he explains how he got on a train, went to, I think, Sheffield in the north and somewhere in um, uh, the south to find recycling plants and to, and to choose, go there to select, select his materials from there. So, you know, this is the other thing. If this country wants to have a, um, a new green sustainable um, future, industrial future, that is the sort of thing that governments need to understand and to get behind to, to connect up new ways of manufacturing with creative designers. That's the potential that we have in this country. It's not been realised by any government yet. I mean, the word that best suits the um, exhibition for me is joyous, extraordinary, mm. so colourful and perfect. <laughs> and yet there are shadows behind this. And the um, current situation of the government is that they want to um, reduce the money that has been um, put out. Um, is there anything being done about that or is it something that we're not talking about yet? There isn't um, any um, creative arts education uh, establishment which is not concerned um, about the government's uh, conservative government's um, attitude to actively uh, curtailing um, arts in schools um, right through to university. I think what's extraordinary and very, very precious and unique about this country is um, art education in schools. Students don't come out of nowhere. They come, they come out of being taught by extraordinary art teachers and textiles teachers and, you know, design and technology teachers. Unfortunately, that's, that's a system that's systematically being, um, cut out of, uh, of the exam system. Creative industries, creative, creativity is not valued in this country at the moment, which is crazy because it's one of the things that we do best. It's our superpower. What is your favourite look? As I see you now, it's usually in a well-cut jacket and trousers, but always something that gives it a little bit of an edge. What, what is at the heart of your personal choice? You know, you're coming here from somebody who doesn't even own a trouser suit, so there's something different about us. What is it? Yes, Susie, it's quite um, actually embarrassing. When I, when, I, when I go back through my wardrobe, the very first jacket I bought when I was um, a fashion editor was a Jean-Paul Gaultier tailored, guess what, tailored um, navy blue blazer with huge shoulders. And I spent a terrifying amount of money on it considering what I was earning. I had to hide it from myself because I was in such shock. shock. But no, literally, if I, if I go through what I've actually bought over the years, it was Gaultier. Did have a bit of Chanel, wasn't quite me. But then there was Helmut Lang and then there was Margiela, Marta Margiela. And I mean, throughout the time, even when everything has gone girly, which is terrible for me, if, if it's a dress time and it's all prints and pretty, I am still going to wear trouser suits. <laughs> um, but the great thing is that uh, one of my daughters has the same vibe as me. 
she she she's she's wearing those things now in a completely different way so i feel justified having bought them <laughs> and what about this exhibition is there anything there you've been drawn to and thought mm, i wish i'd bought this at the time no because i think that's one of the things about being um, a fashion that i think is my principle as fashion journalist if i if i wrote only about what suited me my career would have ended a long time ago. <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't interest me to, to think, could I wear that? I'm only interested in what designers are saying and whether it really thrills me, shocks me, um, sometimes makes me feel, you know, one, one of the, I'm sure you feel it. I've sat next to you at shows, Susie, where we're looking at each other and we know that there's a full goose pimple, um, experience or not. You've often turned to me and say, are you feeling this, Sarah? And, um, I mean, if we're not feeling it, we know that we're not feeling it. So yes, I think it's it, about that. It's not about what to wear. No, but since we became fashion journalists not so long ago, so much <laughs> in journalism has changed. Um, I worked at the International Herald Tribune newspaper for 20, 24 years. And um, I would publish my article and they would put one photograph yeah. to illustrate it. Yeah. One photograph, yeah. no other pictures at all. And we just can't imagine that today, can we? It's all photo, photo, photo. Why are words and critiques still so important to you, given that fact? It's very true um, what you say, because I, I was, uh, my, my first job where I cut my teeth was um, on The Guardian. And then suddenly got really upset, realising I'd been to London, fashion, so, so Paris Fashion Week, and I could only have like five pictures for the whole of the week. Then came, I was one of the very first journalists reporting for Star.com, which became Vogue Runway, as it is now. And that was when all of the collections could be seen in full, which just seems so normal now that, that every, every, every designer has every single look on a, on the runway. But as far as critiques are concerned, I think it goes back to what I was saying before, which is, we need to document the times. And I often think sometimes when I've given people bad reviews or not entirely enthusiastic reviews, people are obviously are very hurt. You can understand that if you've been working slowly, really working day and night for six months putting some together. But afterwards, people have come to, many designers have come to me and said, it was really upset at the time, but what you said was right. And it's, it really helped me to navigate what I should, what, what perhaps um, I could do. Or to realise who I am. I also think, I, I think fashion criticism is really important. I think journalistically, there's so much now to, to look at in the sphere of not just what styles are, but what clothes mean and how the, how the industry is going. That there's, you know, I'm not an investigative journal, journalist, but there's, that's a field which has definitely opened up now. If you're a young journalist in this building, in the exhibition, looking at it at this very moment as we're talking, mm. and um, they must think, what can I do today to succeed? I'm a fledgling fashion journalist. What can I do? What should I do? I would always say, if you're a fashion journalist, I mean, I never studied fashion journalism, but if you're at college and you are in a department with under the umbrella of the fashion department, what you should do is bond with your peers. People are never single geniuses. Every single person in this, in this show has come up by discovering and bonding with their people uh, in college or in clubs or whatever. Movements start when you have, when you have journalists, um, stylists, hairdressers, 
people who can make sets, who can communicate. I mean, commu communication now is, is so, so, so important. And journalism can, you know, shades out into lots of hybrids. It can be not just a written word, but also um, film. It's gone far beyond the, the press release. I think that's how to start as a fashion journalist. I mean, ev everything is hybridised now. And I think designers cannot do without without communicating. And yet there really is no look of the moment. Different people wear very different and expressive kinds of clothes. I wonder something. Do you ever look at your daughters or their friends or your own colleagues and feel how inspiring it is that the current generations are prepared to go their own ways, that it's not about the look of the season that seems so old-fashioned, that it's all about independence, yes? Yes, this is this is what what we love about about fashion and particularly now yeah my gosh when when i was when i was little we all had to wear um mini skirts even at school it was mini it was mini well i know it's mini skirts at school now but i mean if if things something didn't didn't suit you in the 70s you were lost <laughs> I remember even the queen and princess margaret and everybody they all they all wore you know skirts above the the knees um yes there's no one fashion and I think that's really, really, really healthy. It makes me want to keep my eye, my eye out, especially here. Actually, it's so touching and amazing um, to see who's who's walking into into this into this show. I can it's the the exhibition, the uh, museum, the Dye Museum is on High Street, Kensington. And when I walk in here, I can see who's heading here because people are, people dress up, people dress up to come to come here of all ages. You know, people who are in their I well. Um, Grandparents down to down to little uh, little little children. Um, I hope I'm wearing, wearing enough effort <laughs> to, in my um, Christopher Kane sweater. And um, but certainly, I feel I've been outdone by almost every outfit that I've seen. So imaginative, so colourful, such extraordinary textures. It's real inspiration to see your exhibition. Congratulations! Thank you so much, Susie, and thank you for coming. Thank you, Sarah, for your beautiful words about the future of the fashion talent in London and the last three decades, too. Interesting to see how sustainability is at the root of so many designers today. Bravo! I look forward to you receiving this much-deserved fashion award. The way you support the next generation of creative talent is so much to be admired. The BFC New Gen Rebel Exhibition is in collaboration with the BFC and the Design Museum, and is sponsored by Alexander McQueen. It's on until the 11th of February 2024 at London's Design Museum in High Street, Kensington, West London. If you would like to buy tickets for the Fashion Awards 2023 at London's Royal Albert Hall to see Sarah win her Special Recognition Award for championing young designer talent on Monday the 4th of December 2023, go to fashionawards.com. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Jörg Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels.